0: All right, good morning. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Community Church. Good to see you all this morning. We're continuing our journey through the book of Colossians. So, If you would, if you have a Bible with you electronically, physically, or otherwise, I don't know what the otherwise is, but... Leaving room for options. Uh, You can get to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 15 through 20 this morning uh, as we continue our journey. Just a couple things to remind us of about the book of Colossians that are very important to remember, especially as we step into this portion of the letter, is that Paul, who is in prison, who didn't plant this church, he's never been there, has heard that some people have come in, some false teachers who are trying to add something to the gospel that has already been preached to them, all right? So they're being told that, yes, the gospel that you've heard is somehow not supreme and not sufficient. And so what Paul is doing with this letter is declaring from start to finish the sufficiency or the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, which are critical concepts because I think that we struggle today with seeing Christ as both supreme and, insufficient. There's things that we uh, put more of our attention on that, that actually have more of a say in our lives than Christ does. There are things that we try to use to redeem ourselves or to atone or to do something with uh, because we, we in some way are making a comment that Christ is somehow insufficient right? You've probably heard that Jesus plus something equals actually nothing. Um, and so, so Paul is pushing against that. So that's one of the reasons that he goes from praising them. If you remember, he praised them for the faith that they had in Christ and the love that they had for all the saints because of the hope that they had laid up in heaven, and remember how we talked about heaven as a very tangible thing and something we should meditate on. There's not a ton of verses that give us a lot of details, but there are enough verses that we should be excited about it the new heavens and the new earth. And it's so fascinating to me how I hear, even in other philosophies and in other ideas, this longing for a better world. I don't know how many of you watched the Florida State Alabama game last night. For those who are excited, roll tide. For those who are not, the rest of the year is ahead of you. Uh, And so there was a commercial by Marriott. Did you guys see the commercial by Marriott? I'm sure it's on during other things, but um, it, it said basically, it gave this beatific vision of the world. It was fascinating. It said, What if we actually behaved as humans? What if we actually were friends to others? What if greed didn't dictate, gave up? And, and basically it was this great argument for Christianity without Christ. And so there's this longing for a better world, for, for the things that are bothering us to be purged from this world. We want a new heavens and new earth. We want all things to be made new. It's this deep longing within us all. We just have different ideas about how we're gonna go about that. And so what Paul is saying is there's only one way It's only one who is supreme enough and sufficient enough to bring this to pass. And so as he comes out of his praise for them, the hope they have laid up for them in heaven, and he prays that prayer, if you remember from last week, where he says, I just want you to know God's will. And as we talked about, God's will is to redeem all things, make all things new. It's not actually as intricate and complex as we try to make it in terms of relationship or job or where you live and all these kinds of things that we think I don't know God's will for my life. Yes, you do. His will for your life is that you would be able to glorify him and enjoy him forever beginning now. That is his will for your life. And so he he said, I want you to be able to do that and that you would be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And these are the evidences of that, that your life would bear fruit. And remember how we talked about that. Those are some dangerous terms because we see them in kind of grandiose fashion, right? Like like we, all of us are haunted by some sort of legalism or pharisaicalism in some way. Um, maybe it's part of the fall. Maybe it's just kind of inherent within us. And so we hear those things and we think, if I'm going to walk in a manner worthy, it's got to be stellar. i got to be a super Christian. Or we flip and say, no, I just want everybody to look the same so I don't look like I'm out of line. Uh, which I have deemed, and this is, will be trademarked soon, I'm sure, uh, the socialistic view of Christianity or sanctification. And so, uh, don't, so don't go using that. I'm going to try to make some money off of that sucker. So I'm just kidding. Uh, but then he goes on to say that you also should be able to persevere and endure with patience and joy. Wow. That's, that takes some maturation, right, to be able to endure suffering with joy. And then it says that you also would do so with great gratitude. And so these things are the evidences, like we're oftentimes like saying, well, I just don't, I don't know. We do, actually. And if we knew each other well enough, we could actually speak to these things and we had enough vulnerability, we could love each other better than we do. And so now he's going to shift out of that prayer, that praise and that prayer into this hymn now, scholars uh, have all kind of thoughts about what this is. Was it previously written and Paul's seizing upon it? Uh, is it a unique construction of Paul? Either way, it is a hymn written by the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what we necessarily have to argue about there, but it's beautiful and it's a, it's a, it's a contained, uh, concise version of the gospel. And so as we step into it, keep those things in mind. But before we step into the text, let me ask you a question. What currently has supremacy in your life? Let me tell you how you know. Uh, a couple things are helpful. What, what dictates how you spend your money? Right? What, what most dictates how you spend your money? Now, you may say, well, I, you're playing dirty pool up there, pastor. I mean, you want us to give money so that you can, I know it's pumpkin spice latte season. Yeah, I know what you're doing. I know why you're wearing that little orange shirt. This ain't about old Rocky Top. This is about pumpkin spice season. And that's a, that's a fair charge, actually. And so I don't want to play dirty pool. I, wanna, I want you to know that your money goes to good things if it comes through our hand, that we have a responsibility to ensure that it goes to kingdom purposes. And you've got a couple of options before you that you heard about this morning, both First Care Women's Clinic, which is, this is their, their fundraiser. They're doing fantastic work. Um, and they're seeing people come to Christ, and, and they're, they're in the trench, and, and we've got resources and can help them. And then uh, we have an opportunity to be a blessing in some measure to those who've been so affected by Harvey um, to do the flood buckets. And we're, we're not asking to buy anything. Give us the money, and uh, the teenagers will help put the flood buckets together, and the Stuckerts are overseeing that. What, what great things. Don't forget these things. Don't miss these opportunities for generosity to bless other people. I know for some of you, you're thinking, well, out of sight, out of mind, right? And and we're inundated with so many things. But but I just want you to think about what most dictates how you spend your money. Because there's a supremacy thing there. Another thing is your time. What gets the lion's share of your time? And there may be good things. There may be good things that, that, that your time goes to but there is an evidence of supremacy there. And is it, is it um, that you're paying God a pittance because you feel like it's just to check the box off and you're failing to understand? No, this is relationship. Try loving your family as you love God, and t- at least for a month, it'd be a great social experiment, and tell me how your family feels about you when it's done, right? So there's, there's two ways you can kind of f- figure out fairly quickly you're both your treasure and your time. We could also talk about where you use your talents as well, which I think is your, your abilities, and that would be also uh, reflective of treasure and time. But that's a quick way for you to kind of get a quick read on supremacy. But I think it's worthy of us actually praying, Holy Spirit, would you, would you help me see what is supreme in my life? Now, I'm afraid that here's what some of you just heard. That if you're not praying uh, three, four hours a day, and you're not reading your Bible two, three other hours a day, which I don't know when you're going to work, sleep, eat, do any of the other things, uh, I don't want you to hear that. It, it's actually an issue of the heart, right? You, you could actually pray less than a couple of hours a day, and, and it actually still means that Jesus is supreme in your life. It, it could be that, that, you know, you're using your gifts, your vocation in the world. Some of you are so incredibly gifted at things that we don't want you doing things inside the church because you're doing such great work outside the church, in the world. You're so gifted at it. Use that time and that energy to display the glory of God in and through your vocation. So, so if you heard like a mixed message, if you just heard me in some way, if you hear this supremacy message through the twisted kind of filter of, you, you need to do more. You need to do more. That, that, that this impossible kind of discipleship thing, please come talk to us and let's pray and talk about it because that's not what I'm trying to say. There's ways for you to do all of the things that you're currently doing without hardly changing anything and yet still recognize that Christ is supreme and recognize that his salvation is sufficient. It's a change in perspective and heart. Now, some of you may need to change, actually, some of how you spend your time and some of how you do what you do if you're not doing any of those things. But that's okay. I mean, it's good that God loves us enough, and you're not doing it because he needs you to pray. No, you need to pray. You need to be in his word for the good of your heart and your soul. Amen? And he's inviting us into the story and to do the work with him. And so... Um, And and then the other question is, what do you turn to as sufficient help when you are in need? Where do you go first? For those of us who have an addiction background, oftentimes we went to the things that we're addicted to. It's kind of how we work. I'm numbered among you. Some of you turn to, uh, 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 using language from the Hosea series, lovers far less wild, because God seems so intangible to you. You don't like talking to someone who's invisible. You need a physical person. And so you are relying upon all kind of other things. Now don't, here's what I just did not say. I didn't say that going to counseling is bad. I, we, we have several counselors, we, we are a fan of that. You do oftentimes need to turn to a physical person as a representative of Christ, but there's sometimes relationships that we turn to that aren't healthy, right? And we try to find our identity in these other things because we don't think that the, Christ saying he loves us and that we are redeemed is somehow sufficient. So be careful, take stock. What is supreme, what is sufficient? Paul's gonna tell us both, the answer to both is Christ. So let's first look at verses 15 through 18. This is the supremacy of Christ in both creation and the church. If you would hear the reading of God's word this morning. He being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, everything, he might be preeminent. Now Paul here takes up the language of Genesis chapter 1 right? So he's saying that Jesus is what Adam failed to be. One of the reasons that we read Psalm 8 in Hebrews 2 is that Jesus is the perfect Psalm 8 man. He is the exact display of what it means to bear God's image. Uh, R. Kent Hughes says it well. He says, Jesus is the exact exegesis of God in the world right? So so what's being said here is that Jesus displays perfectly all of the things that God wanted to be displayed in this world so that his glory would fill the earth. And you can hear echoes of John 1 here, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All of that language of of the fact that Jesus was not created. Now, there's a, there's a, a word here that has Turns some people into heretics, and that is that Jesus was the firstborn. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, I'm not going to bore you with all of the Greek details, but and you can look this up for yourselves if you so desire. <laughs> um, it actually means primacy, not generation. So, what that means is is that is that He is just as I said the preeminent, the supreme image bearer. It's not that He was created, right? So those of you who know anything about the history of the church and heresy, the Arians got tripped up on this, as have Jehovah's Witnesses. They point to this verse and say, no, see, he was generated. No, that can't be what that means because later in the verse, when it talks about him being the firstborn from the dead, let me ask you Bible scholars, is Jesus the first person to ever have been raised from the dead? The answer is no. We at least have Lazarus and probably some other examples as well. You might could argue that Samuel being called back from the dead by the seer was a little bit of that, and remember, he was pretty grumpy about it. And so, so that's not what it means. It doesn't mean first in terms of generation. What it means is first in terms of supremacy. So Christ is supreme over all creation, and he's supreme because of the glory of God that he displays, all of the attributes that are that that are that God wants to be seen in this world, and so. Um, for those of us who have been studying the book of Hebrews on Tuesday mornings, one of the things I've said to them is when you read in the New Testament, when you're reading about Jesus, pay close attention because what you are seeing is God incarnate in the world. You're seeing God as, as he is, his characteristics displayed in this broken and fallen world. So often I think we miss that as we're reading about Jesus We seem again, because I think that we have this idea that we're being saved from God instead of to God. Remember, who sent Jesus? God did. Why? Because He wants to be restored to His people, that is His will. And so Jesus is supreme in all of these things in creation. He holds all things together. How many of us need to hear that there's somebody somewhere with some power and supremacy holding all things together? I don't think there's anyone in this room that could say, I don't care. I'll just, you know, let it ride. No, we, are all, we all feel it. Just as Josh said, every time you look at the I mean... One of the most heartbreaking images, and I, I, it's one of those things where I had to turn away, was the image of the old people in the, in the nursing home and the waters filling up. Well, you know, And the stories that we heard from Katrina where there would be orderlies who stayed behind to try to take care of the people and all the professionals had left them to die. What are we? I need to know that somebody holds all things together. And Jesus does. And if, if if he can hold all things together in terms of creation, then he can hold all things together in terms of your life. Right? If he can ensure that this great big old world with all of its brokenness and yet all of its beauty, all of its fallenness, and yet all of its redemption, if he can make it continue to go, If he can keep us from absolutely destroying each other, which, by the way, any of you who lived through the Cold War, you know we have the capacity, and we are still finger on the trigger. Right? North Korea just shot a missile over Japan, and it wasn't like a shank golf ball. It was a message. Right? And so we need to know that somebody holds it all together and that the person who holds it together knows how it works best because he made it. He made it. I want the guy that knows how it works best at the wheel, right? We've talked about this before. You don't take your car to a gardener who has no earthly idea. He's like, I I don't know, but I can turn it into a beautiful planter. No, that's not why I bring you my car. I need it fixed. And so Jesus, who is supreme over all things, created all things, was uh, primary over all things, who is supreme over all things, he holds them together. What a beautiful truth. And not only is he transcendent or distant in that, that if that's all he was, that would kind of be a fairly distant thing. But the beautiful thing is he comes close. Not only is he supreme in creation, he is supreme over the church. He draws near to us through this very institution, as flawed as she is. There is no one who has uttered harsher critique against the church than I have as a Christian, much less as a radical anti-theist. And yet, instead of growing more cynical, as I have entered into the belly of the beast, I have grown much more hopeful. There are people doing great work in this world in the name of Jesus, and they're doing it in and through the church, and amen. They just don't blast it on Facebook every time they do something good. They don't post it on Twitter every time they have a good thought. They don't post it on Snapchat or whatever, whatever it is you kids are doing these days. They don't make a big deal out of what they do. They just do it because that's what we were called to do instead of always trying to toot our own horn so the world would know who we are. And so, so the church is actually, it's actually doing better than sometimes I, I think we think. And remember, when you critique the church who her head is. You cannot critique the church and not critique Christ. Now, am I, did I just hedge my bets and say, all of you who have critique against the church, you no longer can do that? No, not at all. Let your voice be heard because again, we, you are the church. So if there's something wrong with the church, there's something wrong with you and me, not Jesus. And think about how patient he's been with us. The church made it through uh, that whole European thing in the 14th and 15th century. The church seems to be surviving the Catholic priest scandal. And you may be saying, oh, hold on a second, what kind of church are we talking about? Yeah, no, there's di- different. I get it. We came out from under that umbrella, but have we done better? No, I don't know that we have with all the resources that we have. And yet, and yet she continued. So I want to I say to you, be careful, don't be long on diagnosis and short on cure. If you have a critique of the church, what are you going to do to help make her brighter and better and better display the glory of God? Because as the church goes, so goes so much. I'm comforted that God will not be mocked, Galatians 6, right? God will not be mocked. And I, there's some days I'm going, yeah, but this one, I don't know how you're not going to be mocked on this one, Mark. And yet, he's not. It continues. And there's good work being done. And amen. So remember, Christ holds not only all things together in creation, he holds all things together in the church. And that should comfort us. Because broken and failed men and women will come and go, but he remains supreme. Remember the words of Hebrews. He reigns now, even though it doesn't look like it. Even though you don't see it some days, he's reigning even now. And so that supremacy is such a comfort to us and such a gift to us that he's both near and far, transcendent and eminent or far and close. And what a gift that he is with us in the church and what a gift that he has done that by being the primary one to rise from the dead. And if he's primary, what does that mean? There's more to come. That means you and I will follow after him in the resurrection that he has gone first and made it possible for us to rise. The church will not always look this way. She will not always be defeated. She will be triumphant in the new heavens and the new earth. And Let me just say from an institutional perspective, I think some of us um, forget what was said in the book of Joshua. This always has been a helpful thing to me. You remember Joshua comes upon the angel of the Lord, which many people understand to be Christ incarnate in the Old Testament. And you can argue that one way or the other. Either way, the angel of the Lord's an impressive figure. And he's got some impressive abilities, like the ability to forgive sin. Joshua the high priest, he forgives his sin. Probably Christ. But he's standing there and and Joshua recognizes, hold on a second. I might want to find out whose team this dude is on. Because he's got a giant sword, and, and I just, before we go getting too far along, and he, and he approaches the angel of the Lord, and he says, whose side are you on? Do you remember what he said? <laughs> Neither. Neither. The question is, are you on my side? And I think sometimes that we think there are other institutions that can do better what only the church really can do, and we try to traffic in some other things now, don't, that's not contradictory to what I said about vocation and other things earlier. No, the, the, those things are very important. I, I didn't say they were a null set or they don't matter. They do. But I think sometimes we think that they matter more. No, they don't. The institution by which redemption like leaven will transform this world is the church. And we should be more expectant of her power. We should be more prayerful. We should be leaning into that truth much more. Why? Because of the supremacy of Christ. Not because of anything we do, right? It's clear, left-to-arm devices, we will mess things up royally for everybody. And so, this is the statement we should be making This is what should define our lives, right? So if you would give your attention to this quote from David E. Garland, I think it's it's well stated for the verses. It says, in Christ, we see who God is, creator and redeemer, what God is like, a God of mercy and love and what God does one who sends his son to rescue people from the dominion of darkness and brings about the reconciliation of all creation through his death on the cross. That is a powerful statement and it, we would do well to recognize what it is we're seeing when we look at the person and work of Christ, right? So let me ask you, what, what causes you to experience the transcendence or otherness of Christ what helps you to see that he's supreme over all creation well for me oftentimes it's to look upon the beauty of creation itself it's, it's stunning and awe inspiring I remember one time when I was a f- professional photographer I used to photograph for a lot of the conservancy organizations in the state and those of you are like I knew he was the leftist no I just happen to care about creation as God does and so, and so I was, I, I hiked up to this place, uh, oddly, I was not a Christian at the time, a place called Preaching Rock, uh, it was kind of a, you know, metaphor, foreshadowing, at about three in the morning, which is an exciting thing to do if you've ever been in the woods at three in the morning, uh, hiking up, uh, up a mountain. And so I get up there, and about 4.15, the sun begins to rise, 4.15, 4.30, in the valley. And it was so overwhelmingly beautiful that I almost failed to take the picture for which I had put all that effort and energy in to go and see. And that actually began to stir within me that there's gotta be something more. There has to be something more than, than, than what I had believed. And it was utterly amazing how the light changed in just an hour's time. It went from this deep orange and gray and smoke black with smoke through the valley. And it changed to this wonderful kind of purple that just filled the sky. And then it, then it transformed into this incredible turquoise blue, meaning God's a UNC fan, even though they lost yesterday. And, and you know, it's just, it was beautiful. It was just a, a beautiful thing, and uh, it was awe-inspiring. So, f- so for me, one of the things that helps, and also, too, um, just, just hearing how God still works in this world. I think it's worth us paying attention to things. And then what actually uh, causes us to experience the nearness of Christ or that he is head over the church, Again, the press is so bad on us. I mean, poor old Joel Osteen just took it on the chin meme-wise this week. Bless his heart. I, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for him. And, uh, and, but, but what you need to know, don't miss this now. When the world speaks of Joel Osteen, the plane is flat. He's, they're talking about you too. We've all been lumped into the same cauldron. You understand? So that when the world looks at it, the church is universal, universally bad. And, and in need of being kind of done away with at some point. And, and so uh, what actually moves me is to see the effort that people do make without a lot of fanfare. Um, and, and, and it actually, when I overhear stuff that you guys are doing with and for each other, Elva yesterday um, said that a bunch of you came out and bought food and her neighbors came out and it really has sparked within her mind, what a great way to kind of get to know my neighbors. And so you, you came out great. Uh, I think you raised, what, a million, million and a half dollars yesterday, close to it. That's cool. Guacamole's good now. It's expensive, but it's good. Uh, when I hear things like that, it makes me go, okay, we're, we're, we're going to be okay. Jesus is near. Jesus is at work. Um, I'm so encouraged by what so many of you are doing. And, and how some of you are fighting the good fight and how some of you, though you're hanging on by your fingernails, it's the fingernails that Jesus made for you just long enough to hang on that ledge. And so what does that for you? What encourages you to see both Jesus as supreme over creation and the church? Worth us thinking about because, again, we can find ourselves long on diagnosis and so, so, so short on cure. Let's turn back to the text and see the sufficiency of Christ in reconciliation. Verses 19 and 20. For in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of God, listen, was pleased to dwell. Not forced, not, not, not had to to try to clean things up. No, it genuinely is pleased to dwell in the person and work of Christ. What a beautiful thing. It goes on. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this makes it very clear that God is satisfied with the person and work of Christ. And that's good news for us because that work has been applied to us. And what does that mean that God is with you? Satisfied. Notice how John talks about it when Jesus says, me and my Father will take up residence in you. And Paul talks about us being the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that you have the entire Trinity dwelling in you because of what Christ has done for you? Because Christ was sufficient. And you may be thinking, Man, if he lives inside of me, he is hearing some crazy stuff on the inside. It would probably be better if he stayed on the outside. He'd hear some crazy stuff on the outside of all of us too, wouldn't he? And yet he chooses to continue to dwell there despite our frailty, despite our failings, despite our inability at times to do the most basic of things that we are called to do. And so do we recognize and do we celebrate Sabbath, Lord's Day Sabbath after Lord's Day Sabbath, the, the, the fact that the Godhead dwells in Jesus and Jesus and the Godhead dwell within us. That, that we have been made sufficient. And we are the chosen vessel by which God wants to redeem And do the things he wants to do in this world. You are ambassadors of reconciliation. The church is not an institution. It's you. It's me. And so what are we doing to build her up? Build us up. Glorify the Lord our God in this world. And notice what he says. And that... And that he reconciles to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That means that the work is finished and sufficient. It, you add nothing to it. And here's even better. Because I think that you thinking you could add something to it. I don't know that many of you actually believe you could add anything to. Like, that's pretty arrogant. You've got to really be <laughs> in need of Jesus to, to think that. But I think that most of us think we, we take away. That, that, that we actually take away or drag down the church, that we actually um, cause the church to, to not be sufficient. No, no, you, you don't. Remember, God will not be mocked. You can't be worse than the 14th and 15th century. Like, we'd have to try really hard to be as bad as those jokers were. And we've tried. And we may still yet make a pretty good run for the money, but as of right now, it's not that bad. And so please remember that the sufficiency of Christ means that the work is finished. You don't add, and even more importantly, you don't subtract. Now, you may say, you just gave all these people a license not to do doodly squat. No, I did not. Actually, I gave you the license To actually do something because you're no longer going, shouldn't operate in fear of messing it up. You should be more free now to get involved. And we should love each other well, recognizing our frailties and our mistakes and the fact that it is a struggle to love each other. But we should do what we can to do exactly that because that's what Christ said we were to do. Remember, The world will know who you are by the love that you have for one another. You cannot do that apart from the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. You just can't do it. And would that we would be able to um, relax into the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ so as to do what it is that we were created to do, which is display the image of God through the transformation of Christ. Amen? Amen. So, listen to what F.F. F. Bruce says. He's going to sound a whole lot like David Garland. That both the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ display the attributes of God. He says, Jesus is the one all-sufficient intermediary between God and the world of humanity. Let me pause there. He's the one sufficient intermediary. There is no other There is no other Superman coming if you could say with a straight face, yeah, a guy who's perfect, who loves like Jesus does, who has the kind of power he does and and created all things and is head over the church. Yeah, I I just don't think he's going to, he didn't make the cut for me. Yeah, who does? You, are you going to make the cut for you? Is somebody else in this created order going to make the cut for you? Who else are you going to look to if not him? And so he says he is the one all-sufficient intermediary between God and the world of humanity. And all the attributes of God, his spirit, word, wisdom, and glory, listen, are disclosed in him. This means you cannot understand God apart from the person and work of Christ. You can't do it. And remember what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus. He said when he was unpacking who he is, he said he took all of the Old Testament and said, this this describes who I am. Must have been a pretty long sermon, by the way. Let me ask you a question. What brings you peace? See, this passage says that peace, true shalom, meaning all things made right and all things being made to enjoy. What brings you peace? And how long does that peace last? How sufficient is that peace for you? And then how are you affected by knowing that you are completely redeemed through the sufficiency of Christ's person and work? I'm astonished at the number of people who are so uncomfortable in their own skin. These beautiful image bearers. Who, who are so broken at court and so in need of someone else's affirmation, so in need of something different than what the sovereign Lord has given them. I am not casting stones because I have been numbered among you for years and years and years and years. And it was through my study of the person and work of Christ and union with Christ that the dawn began to really break. And it helped me significantly in terms of being able to do this job, right? Because if, if I'm going to stand up here needing affirmation from your facial expressions just this morning, not, not counting last week, I'm going to need a therapist, <laughs> right? And, and listen, facial expressions aren't always true either, by the way. And I know that from the rescue mission. There was a guy one time, man, he, he affirmed everything I ever said. And then one day, he took a knife and tried to cut both of his hands off because he said he was Jesus. Well, that killed all the affirmation for me, right? He wasn't tracking, actually. And there was one guy who would look real hard at me, put his hoodie up over his head, close his eyes, and put his head against the wall, and that guy somehow absorbed everything I said and actually confessed to liking me, which I know you find weird, but he did, So I'm I'm not casting stones at your facial expressions. What I am saying is, it's a tough gig up here. Sometimes it's like jogging through wet sand. I'm not complaining. It just is. Anybody who's done public speaking, you know this is the case, unless you're Tony Robbins. That's why he beats the drum and comes out with the armbands on and gets people all pumped up because he's not, if you notice, he doesn't really say much. He just yells a lot and people are (laughs) like, crying. I'm like, what in the world? We should change what we do. But because I'm firm in union with Christ, I can walk in the valleys with you and bear burdens, right? And not ask you to give me what you don't have to give and what I really don't need in the first place because it ain't good for me. It ain't good for you either. And so I I would love, and I walk with a number of pastors, people who go into ministry. It's like people go into ministry to hide their junk. Who are so broken and, 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 and so... Unable to tell anybody the truth because they feel like if they tell the truth, they're going to get fired. Or if they tell the truth, then somebody's going to run them out of town, whatever it may be. And that should not be how this goes because that is setting fires that will burn for generations. So my hope is that we as a church would continue to mature and grow in our union and sufficiency with Christ. That what we would be able to do is display greater vulnerability and even more important, greater joy. And who we are in Christ—what a gift that would be, don't you think? And how that would affect the world. What? what who in the world needs? Uh, and I don't know if you know this or not. We start at ten thirty. Uh, a ten thirty to twelve forty-five. I mean, not twelve. Oh God, I probably that was Freudian slip, but probably truer. <laughs> ten thirty to eleven forty-five meeting. Listen to some guy talk that you can barely, I mean, it's like the the sound system's screw from week to week. We sing some crazy songs um, and and we do all this kind of stuff. For what? For what purpose? Do you, you think this suffering makes atonement for anything? No, it doesn't. Better that it would actually... Help us to grow in our understanding of who Christ is. And this is what Paul so longs for for them. He's, after he's praised them, he says, now let me lay a very firm foundation. This Christ, him, his supremacy, his sufficiency. And may that foundation be laid for us. Amen? So what do we walk away with from this? Pretty simple. Christ That Christ is supreme over both creation and the church. Now you may say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Some of you, one of those two, you you may not fully believe, if not both of them. You need to chew on that, right? So what's your relationship to the church and how do you see her in the world and how is that affecting how you actually view Christ? And then he's also completely sufficient for our reconciliation to God. And again, you may say, yeah, 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 I got that. No, look at your life. Look at your life. Ask the spirit to show you where maybe you are relying on some other things other than Christ as sufficient. Some of us, it's work. Some of us, it's parenting. Some of us, it's good grades. Some of us, it is finding a mate. Some of us, it is finding a job. Some of us, it is finding a house. Some of us, it's having children. Some of us, it's any number of things that we seem to think make us more sufficient when he's made us ultimately sufficient and everything after that is gift. So I, I would encourage you this Lord's Day Sabbath to wrestle with these things. If you're not in a small group, the small groups are talking about these things and trying to process these things in community, which is great. And I know that vulnerability doesn't happen night one. And I know that when you're new in a group, it kind of pushes the vulnerability of the group back for a second, unless it's just a really unique group. And sometimes it takes time. That's okay. Uh, I want to encourage you, find some way to have these kind of conversations in some version of community. We just started a new group in Woodstock. They're not meeting tonight, I don't believe, uh, but they will be meeting next week. And they meet every other week at this point. So um, these are things that we need to be having conversations about. These are things that we need to call out in each other. These are things that we, we need to be able to love each other well enough to say, brother, I, I think you're, you're calling something else supreme. Sister, I think you are calling something else sufficient. I think you're, you're going after something. And you may say, I don't want nobody all up in my kitchen like that. Well, there's a lot of really good churches around here that'll let you do exactly that. Hide. That's not who we want to be. And that's going to take time for us to get there from a vulnerability and a community standpoint. And you may say, I don't want to hear all people's junk. I get it. Again, there's some great churches. You don't have to hear all that stuff. You know, this ain't one of them. And so uh, I, I long for us to be able to mature in these things and that the world would know who we are by the love that we have for one another because of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Amen. A- amen. You Presbyterians are so cute. All right, well, I, I'm numbered among you. I want to pray for us, and then we have one more song, and then we're going to do something that's going to make most of you uncomfortable. Are you ready? All right, so you got a break. Get your head ready. You don't know what it is yet. I know you're guessing. You're thinking what it might be, but you don't know. But it'll be orthodox for those of you who just got nervous. It'll be, you'll be fine. All right, let's pray. Father, Thank you that you are so good to us, that you sent Jesus, and that you were pleased to dwell within him, and that all of that dwells within us who are redeemed. Thank you, Lord, that you are pleased with the finished work and person of Christ, such that there's nothing more for us to add or do that is going to make you love us more or less. God, thank you that Christ is supreme over both creation and the church, that he is both far and near and that he makes intercession for us even now. God, thank you that he is sufficient in salvation, that there's nothing more we need to do to, to woo you. There's nothing more that we need to do that in fact what we are left to do is to take and enjoy what we already have become in Christ between the now and the not yet. Would you help us have the courage to do that with honesty, not just in and of ourselves, but between each other? Would you, uh, would you trust us with some hard stuff with each other? Would you help us love each other well, even in conflict and struggle? God, would you help us be honest? Help us be honest because Christ has made it possible for us to be honest and it not to change our eternity. And God, we pray that your spirit would continue to move in and through your word and your prayer uh, and the prayers that are prayed and the songs that are sung. Uh, God, would you, would you fill us with just the, the, the beauty of our redemption this day? May we go out rejoicing in Christ's name. Amen.